Welcome to the election 2020 president debate watch party. I'm Patrick Ryan, president of the Tennessee World Affairs Council. I'm very pleased to introduce our partner in this exciting program, David Plazas. He's the opinion engagement editor at the Tennessean and USA Today Tennessee Network. David also organizes the Civility Tennessee campaign. David, thanks for joining the World Affairs Council this evening. That uh, I'm sure is a very busy time for journalists and uh, especially somebody with uh, your wide portfolio. Thank you so much, Pat. I'm so glad to be here with you and having this conversation before the debate starts. Uh, we're just about uh, half an hour away. Uh, the president and Vice President uh, Biden are in town. Uh, we've had quite a bit of activity around Belmont University's campus. This is the second time that Belmont has hosted a presidential debate, the first time in 2008, between then Senator Barack Obama and then Senator John McCain. Um, we're so excited to have this panel of experts, and they really are. Their expertise is, is absolutely uh, outstanding. They represent uh, a variety of, uh, of, of levels of, uh, of experience. Uh, and one of the things I want to do is do a quick introduction before we get into the conversation. Uh, Mark Braden is the senior VP for Mercury LLC and also former campaign manager for Senator Lamar Alexander. Uh, Rachel Dean Wilson, Director of External Affairs, Alliance for Securing, and while you're doing it, if you could wave at the audience too, uh, Mark, just to let them know who you are. Uh, there go. Rachel Dean Wilson, who's Director of External Affairs, Alliance for Securing Democracy, former McCain staffer and press assistant in the McCain 2008 campaign. Bronte Prins, Co-Chair of Global Young Professionals, the Tennessee World Affairs Council Board. Holly McCall, Editor of Tennessee Lookout Online News. We have Sarah Lingo, Executive Director of Sister Cities of Nashville, Amanda Nair, Global Account Manager, Forrester Research and on the board of Tennessee World Affairs Council, Campbell Lehman, Academic WorldQuest Program Representative, and of course, as we mentioned, Patrick Ryan, who needs no introduction, the President of the Tennessee World Affairs Council and also the founder of it. Um, tonight is uh, going to be one where we're going to be looking at both substance and style, and uh, I wanted to ask the panel initially if each of you could give just a uh, a quick analysis of what is your expectation. If you could get one uh, question answered that, that you really are dying for, what would it be? And well, let's start with you, Mark. If you could tell just briefly, what are your expectations for tonight? Yeah, I, I really don't have a question I'd ask. I, I just expect that um, you know, President Trump needs to come out and uh, reinforce you know, a why or maybe a why not uh, with regards to, to why, why folks shouldn't uh, select Vice President Biden. Um, he's got to do that to, to female voters. Um, you know, the, the debate's in Tennessee, but we really don't matter here. He has to, he has to uh, really uh, uh, reach out to, to mostly female and suburban voters in states like North Carolina, Arizona, and the Big Ten states. Um, and so it's going to be really interesting to see how he does that, because after the last debate, um, you know, he really, he, he, he really came out of that with, uh, with, with, with uh, low, poll, low, low poll numbers and some, uh, some, some negative momentum. So I'm looking to see how he kind of gets his, gets his groove back and, uh, you know, he's got 10 days to go. And um, that's what I'll be looking for, looking for tonight. Well, thank you. And Rachel, you worked on the McCain campaign in 2008. Um, in terms of the preparation for a debate, uh, how, how did that go and, and what tips might you give to candidates in order to be an effective debater? Uh, I think to be an effective debater, you need to go in with a strategy and know what points you're trying to hit and why you're trying to hit them, who your target audience is, and a lot of practice. Um, I think I think for a lot of candidates, controlling your emotion on stage when you feel very passionately is, is a big challenge. And uh, we saw that with the first debate, which was basically unwatchable. 
so uh, my expectations here that we have a debate where the American people can have some takeaways from each candidate with the two minutes that uh, aren't mic'd. So and Bronte, you know, being especially a young professional, you know, the youth vote is something that's being looked at right now. Historically, there's been a huge percentage point difference between baby boomers and young voters, generally between the ages of 18 and 29, where you had about fewer than 50% come out uh, compared to almost 70 or 70% of, of baby boomers. What is the, the what is your uh, perspective as a young professional to how the stakes of this debate? I think the stakes are very high. I think coming off the first debate, President Trump was himself. He was very aggressive. He was assertive. Biden was playing defense. And I think that today is the opportunity, kind of what Mark said, Trump, it's his time to shine. If he wants to attract young voters, female voters, I think that his performance today is critical. I think Biden has done an excellent job of attracting young people. I think that, um, you know, young people tend to be more liberal often. And I think Biden has that, uh, to his advantage. And so for President Trump today, I think anything that he can do to appeal to young voters is extremely important. And Holly, if I recall, one of your newsletters uh, had something to the effect of it, the circus is coming to town. Uh, could you talk a little bit about uh, your expectations for this particular uh, debate and what you uh, think you'll be writing about in your next newsletter or column? Well, you know, it was interesting. I actually just got to my car after spending a few hours outside talking to people from the Biden camp and from the Trump camp. Um, and it's amazing to me, it continues to be amazing to me how um, divided this country is and how two different groups of people can look at the same point and yet see it so very differently. Um, for tonight, what I'm going to be looking at, I'll be interested to see how the Hunter Biden information plays out. I think we heard shortly uh, before the debate started that President Trump planned to bring Hunter Biden's business partner. You know, he had a similar tactic in 2016 when he brought um, some women who had accused Bill Clinton of inappropriate behavior. So I'm going to be interested to see how that plays out and how Joe Biden handles that. Very good. Amanda, if you uh, were able to ask a question to one or both of these candidates, what would you want to ask Oh boy. Um, was that for me? Or was that yeah, for, for Amanda. For Amanda. Uh, yeah. So uh, I know that some of the topics for tonight include climate change, national security, so there and race in America today. So I think that really it will be interesting to. Those are my top three priorities to hear both of um, the candidates speak on. But I'm like uh, I think Rachel mentioned. I'm most excited about the mute button because hopefully we'll be actually able to hear people speak. Uh, so I'm excited for that. Excellent. And uh, and Campbell, certainly as the youngest member of this uh, esteemed group, uh, I'd love to hear your perspective in terms of what are the issues that you are most concerned with. We've heard people talk about jobs and the economy. We've also heard about climate change. For you, what are those issues and how do you speak to your peers about them? those issues? I would say that the main issues that really young people are going to be focusing on are climate change and also racism. We want to be able to build a better America in the future and with racism holding people back and with climate change essentially viewed as a threat of annihilation. Uh, a lot of us aren't motivated to work as hard as we could be or to hope as much for a better future as we could be. And so I think that what a lot of young people will be looking for is plans to kind of end some of those things so that we can work towards a better future without any uh, worry of those. 
At this time, I'd love to ask each of the panelists to go to the polls button and take that poll to just to determine uh, right now what the most important topic is for you today. I know that Campbell had alluded to uh, two of the topics here, but if you could just take that poll to get a sense of where you're doing, then we'll, we'll uh, continue that conversation. And again, uh, members of the audience can also take this poll. The question is, which topic in tonight's debate is most important to you in making your choice for President of the United States? COVID-19, American families, race in America, climate change, national security, or leadership. And these are uh, topics that uh, were chosen by Kristen Welker, who is the moderator. She's from NBC uh, and hosts uh, the Weekend NBC show. And so far we're seeing uh, some of the votes come in. Uh, at this time, uh, COVID-19, is uh, at this moment the, the dominant issue among people who have been polled. So let's talk a little bit about that because we've had uh, now uh, over 8 million infections uh, in the United States, 219,000 plus people perished, nearly 3,000 in Tennessee. Um, in your estimation, you know, in terms of what, what does President Trump have to say and what does Vice President have to counter in order to most effectively address COVID-19? Um, and, and why don't we start with uh, with uh, Bronte? So, David, this is, it's a, it's an interesting one for me because I am a Canadian citizen that's been living in the United States for many years. I don't have the ability to vote, and so I follow along. I'm interested in politics, but I don't have the power to go to the polls. And so, in terms of global health, COVID is a global issue, and it's been fascinating to watch Donald Trump in an election year also be the president and deal with this global health crisis. So I think if the president is reelected, things may change in the new year because he's operating under a different lens. He's not up for reelection. And I think if Biden is, is the one that wins, um, it's gonna be his biggest test. He's gonna have to show the world how he's gonna handle this and how America can come together with other nations and how we can all tackle this together. Thank you. And Mark, let me ask you your, your uh, conversation. Having worked for uh, campaigns in the past, you know, certainly you work for a senator who is now the chair of the health committee, Senator Alexander, uh, who is also a famed uh, conciliator and uh, has often worked with Democrats. This is one of the issues that has come up as well, is that how do you end this partisan gridlock? Do you see a path forward with either President Trump or President Biden? Vice yeah, President I don't to speak on behalf of Senator Alexander, uh, but yeah, I don't see any it doesn't matter who's president. Um, uh, we're a part of civility, Tennessee, uh, as hosting this. Um, we're because of the monetization of the polarization of our politics today. It doesn't really matter who's in the White House, uh, as long as um, you know President Trump talks about the swamp. The swamp is really the. Uh, there is no no reason for anybody to work across the aisle because when it comes to primary politics. Um, you actually are penalized for working across the aisle. And so, you know, as long as that remains the same, you, you'll you see the far left and the far right keep moving farther away from the center. And, uh, you know, it's until until the center actually, you know, starts being active. And, um, you know, that's, that includes donations and active, act, uh, activism. Um, you know, until the, the monetization of the polarization of our, our body politic changes, it's not going to change, no matter who's in the White House. It could be uh, the Rock, uh, and he, you know we're still going to have uh, uh, partisan uh, uh, snowball fights, no matter who's, who's in the seat. Is there just by general nodding of heads? Does everybody agree, or is there consensus here among this group of what Mark said that we're, or does anybody disagree? 
disagree slightly. Just, and obviously we're polarized right now and that uh, there's always going to be those snowball fights across the aisle. But I think that we've seen Trump encourage that behavior uh, from, from the House. And so I think that, you know, you, you made reference to Brock. Once Brock was off the debates and into office, you saw his State of the Union was much more centered. So I do feel that if we were to have Biden in office, there's potential for more collaboration uh, from, from the Hill. I said The Rock, not Barack. I said oh, the, rock, the Rock, not The Wrestler. Right. Yeah, yeah. No, I, 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 it's, I'm, I'm, I'm pessimistic, and I guess it's in my, in my. Uh, it's the year to be pessimistic. That's yeah. Fine. Look, I mean, I mean, President Trump, he, for whatever it's worth, he has to. He's like Brody in the movie Jaws. He has to keep throwing Chum off the back of the boat and feed the shark until he stops doing that. The sharks need the boat, so um, he's got to keep feeding the base. And uh, but both parties are equally uh, at, at fault in that. I think Mark's absolutely right. Um, even if Joe Biden wins the presidency, if the Republican majority stays in the Senate, um, you know, the Senate has blocked a lot of action by the House for the last few years. I think that's going to continue. As we look at our own history, though, you know, we've often had talked about these checks and balances. Recently, those checks and balances have been so politicized, you know, even though Democrats are upset about the current Supreme Court confirmation process, the Senate can do that. And the question is, should the Senate take on a different tack? How, how can we transition to an area where the parties can cooperate? Because it seems like we're in a politics of retribution right now. Um, would any like, anybody like to comment on that? Uh, I, would, I would like to just point out, so what we do at the Alliance for Securing Democracy, we're tracking um, Iran, China, and uh, Russia and how they're interfering in democracy. And one of, and, and, what's amazing about it is everyone wants to get caught up in, you know, is Iran trying to damage Trump? Is China trying, or is Russia trying to support Trump? Uh, but really at the end of the day, what they're trying to do is exacerbate this division that we're talking about uh, and undermine and harm our democracy. And so I think that's just a really important point to put out as we're talking about this polarization, uh, that it's not just what we're dealing with here, but there is, there are greater geopolitical uh, considerations and it's kind of up to us to, to take those into account and, and fix our politics. There's a question from the audience. Uh, Richard Aberdeen asks, it continues to frustrate me why debate hosts fail to ask questions related to homelessness and poverty. Why isn't this one of the topics tonight? Why wasn't it a topic for the last debate? And it's interesting in the context we just ran an op-ed uh, guest column in the Tennessean talking about why issues related to teachers and education uh, weren't probed in these debates. Would anybody like to comment on those issues? The, these issues that we talk about locally, like affordable housing and um, ed public education and uh, poverty, they, they don't make it to the national stage. Why is that? And should they? And I, I open this up to the panel. Uh, I'll, I'll, go ahead, uh, sorry, the, the 10th Amendment? I mean, it's a... If you if you really want to talk homelessness and public education, uh, we should be you know tune into the mayoral, city council, or state legislative debate tonight, not the presidential. Good point, Sarah. What do you think? I mean, I was kind of thinking along the same lines as Mark. Though there's such local, close to the you know close to home issues, um, I also think that homelessness um, is is often tied to mental health, which is a healthcare issue, um, which they do talk about healthcare, but it never goes back to, I mean, it's very rare that it goes back to mental health. Um, I think there's a lot of stigma with that still. 
Um, I think I think we've come a long way as a country with mental health um, destigmatizing mental health. Um, but I do think that homelessness, especially homelessness and poverty, are such local, close to home issues that they often don't get talked about at a higher level. I would say that if there's ever a year to talk about this, it is 2020 because the pandemic has exacerbated a lot of economic issues. Uh, you know, there was a moratorium on evictions that's over in many places. Um, and I think we're going to see a great rise in not just poverty, but also homelessness. And actually, I think this probably would be the year to have at least have some discussion of that in a presidential forum. Well, thank you for that. Uh, you know, 1960 was the year looking at uh, metrics where the youth vote was highest, you know, in terms of the young, the 20 somethings and so forth. You had John Kennedy, who was a uh, 40 something who won the presidency. This year, we have two septuagenarians who are running for office. And I'd love to turn to Campbell for just a moment in terms of, you know, seeing yourself represented, what is your ideal candidate? And are any of these candidates, do they, they fit the bill? Or, uh, and, and how should young people go about to, to be represented? I think young people are definitely disappointed to see that both of the candidates are in their 70s. That feels very, very distant from our age group. You know, people talk about, oh, do they even remember what it's like to be in high school or college anymore? I think to get ourselves represented, we just need to get involved. I think that most of us have an interest in politics, and I think that we need to latch on to the idea that we can make a change in our country and in our world and take the steps to do that. There was a uh, guest column that, thank you, a guest column that we published earlier today from a 13 year old who is asking politicians to sign a pledge uh, that they will act like adults, that they will essentially uphold civility, that they will be responsible in both campaigning and governance. Uh, do you think that politicians should sign such a pledge and how do you hold them accountable? Uh, and, I don't, it's not meant to be a trick question, but uh, I see Mark uh, shaking his head. What do you think? The optimism of youth. That's such a great, uh, no, I, I, I typically tell my candidates not to sign pledges, uh, but you know, you know, sure we can sign a, everyone be an adult pledge. I think that's a, that should be a, a floor that we all strive to be uh, for anybody that's running for public office, be an adult and act like an adult. And I think that's a good, a good thing to do. It's interesting, you know, the, the Norquist pledge on no taxes has gotten a lot of folks in trouble and, you know, boxed a lot of people in. So that's, so that's a good point. Anybody else I would like to comment on that? Uh, Holly? Well, I would just say that, Campbell, I too am also disappointed that our candidates are as old as they are. Um, I'd like to see some younger candidates as well. It's, you know, the Democratic field certainly this time started with a number of candidates. I think there were, what, 15 to begin with, and it got weeded out. There were a lot of excellent candidates. I think Joe Biden's fine, but um, I'd like to see some younger people rise to the top level of politics as well. By the way, that 13-year-old Hannah Kate McFadden is watching us right now. So thank you for joining us here today. Uh, great to be involved in this. Um, so as we're getting close to the beginning of the debate, I'd love to um, uh, ask you, I, I know that uh, Mark has talked a lot about the pessimism of this process right now, but what are you hopeful for, you know, come 2021? I'd be curious to hear from all the panelists and, and maybe we'll start backwards from starting with Campbell. I think I am most hopeful, honestly, for this election cycle to be over and finished. I think this has been a particularly stressful year. I think that 2020 has been a stressful year. 
And I think that to just move into something new, whether it be another Trump administration or a Biden administration, I think that that will just be hope in of itself to be rid of 2020, really. Thank you. Amanda? Um, I'm, I'm excited to stop getting text alerts for voting. Um, and then I, in reality, I feel most hopeful about being able to look back on 2020 uh, on lessons learned as individuals. I think it's uh, forced the nation COVID to uh, look at what really matters and reevaluate life decisions. So I, I do think that there's a positive from this. Uh, Sarah, what do you think? So I'm really excited for this to be over. Um, so I, I just, I feel like once a decision's made, the whole country, whether or not, you know, who, no matter who the winner is, the whole country is just going to exhale a little bit, um, let some breath out. I, I think what I'm most excited about is being able to have a conversation with a random person on the street or, you know, the mailman or whoever, and it not be about politics. Um, I, I cannot wait <laughs> to go back to, to a time when we can talk about something other than masks or, you know, just it's everything seems to be politicized right now. So I'm looking forward to hopefully that ending. Thank you, Holly. You know, I think my answer is actually similar to Amanda's. Um, you know, the pandemic has been really terrible for a lot of people. People have lost jobs, people have been sick, but it's also brought people more in. They've come to stay home, appreciate family, appreciate friends, lead a simpler life that you know, I'm 56. It's, it's kind of like I was, like it was when I was a kid. I never thought we'd see this again. And, you know, there's been some good that has come out of it. And so I think Amanda nailed it. I hope that people will stay attuned to the things that are very important in life. And Bronte? David, I'm hopeful that in the new year, there are some productive conversations around foreign policy, particularly relations with China. I'm interested to see how things shake out on the trade front um, with the Iran nuclear deal. It's been so divisive and whoever is our president in the coming year, I hope that there's a productive conversation around that and that uh, we can all breathe easy knowing things are going in the right direction. Thank you, Rachel. I, I have two actually. So the first I would say 47 million votes have already been cast. And I think that's a great thing for democracy generally. Um, I'm hopeful that this election has brought out, you know, new voices and new candidates and, and encouraged more people to get involved with politics. Um, and so I'm hopeful we see, see that kind of play out in 2021. And then I, I also think that our democracy has been under stress. Uh, both from foreign actors and then also from domestic actors, and that we will have a chance once this is all over to evaluate where those stresses are causing the most problems and, and hopefully uh, reinforce them in the new year. And Mark. Yeah, I mean, in 1984, President Reagan uh, ran on a theme of uh, mourning in America. Uh, my hope is we have a little boring in America moving forward. It just uh, I think someone said text alerts and all that stuff. I'm just uh, hopeful that we move from 140 characters uh, ruining our, our lives and taking over the, the minute by minute news cycle. Um, and we have a little boring, no matter who the president is. It's a boring in America. And with this, I want to turn it over to Pat, just to, if you could uh, 
help lead us uh, with some your own thoughts in terms of where we are and where we need to go and how the Tennessee World Affairs Council can be an effective partner to the community. Thanks, David. I, I appreciate uh, everyone uh, participating uh, tonight in the uh, conversation. I'm really looking forward to the debate and um, the, uh, the conversation afterwards as, as we've gotten to hear in this final debate, the president and the vice president uh, talking about what the challenges are ahead. I know there was a question about whether this would be a foreign policy debate. And uh, as, as you would surmise, the uh, World Affairs Council is all about that topic. Uh, it was not completely foreign policy, but uh, I think uh, looking at issues like COVID, which is a global issue and national security and leadership, uh, there should be some, uh, some good questions there for the people uh, in the World Affairs Council and those who are interested in global affairs awareness. So I'm looking forward to hearing uh, the two candidates talk about uh, some of these international issues because um, not just the, the presidential campaign, but the senatorial campaigns and, and others around the country, uh, we don't see very much conversation about foreign affairs. And when you, when you get down to it, the president as commander in chief, uh, the, the impact of selecting um, the best leader for the country uh, boils down to how well that, that person will do in, in uh, protecting the United States and uh, protecting our interests abroad. So I'm looking forward to that part of the conversation. Let me switch gears here a little bit before we get up to uh, debate time. Uh, we've uh, asked the people if they would like to get involved in debate bingo. And uh, we have put in the chat box a link to your own personalized debate bingo card. And uh, if you uh, click on that link, you'll uh, uh, open a, a web page that will have your pit, your bingo card on it during the debate. If you hear any of those terms spoken, uh, Mark, just click on that box. And uh, when you get five in a row uh, in the chat box, uh, softly shout bingo, bingo. And uh, we will uh, recognize you as one of our winners. Uh, we have three winners uh, this evening that we'll name and they will get the world famous Tennessee World Affairs Council coffee mug. And too bad you won't have this with you tonight to have your favorite beverage if you're playing a debate, um, bring your own beverage game, but uh, that will be coming your way. So we'll, we'll uh, all enjoy a little entertainment along with uh, the serious nature of this debate by playing uh, debate bingo. Uh, David, we've got a couple of uh, minutes if uh, you want to uh, have a little more conversation. Sure, you know, one of the things just I'd wrap up with, one thing that's important to me in terms of the values that we talk about is sustaining uh, our democracy. It's about battling misinformation. We really are in a very difficult time and also being respectful to your neighbor. Um, some of you may be aware that uh, several counties have uh, remandated their mask mandates, including Williamson County. Uh, Davidson County already has one that continues to be in place. Uh, so I often tell people and write them, you know, wear your mask, not as a political act, but as a neighborly act and um, keep informed, you know, subscribe to your local news organization. Um, be active and uh, speak up that being civil doesn't mean that you're silent or that you're passive bystander. It means that you're respectful and you challenge society to do better. So thank you.
and just uh, I should have said, uh, you know, a rousing applause to all of you panelists. Uh, I think I'm going to play with one of my features over here. I think, can I do the uh, applause sign here? Not sure if I can, but. Uh... Thanks, David. Uh, sorry, I was distracted there for a second. We're, we're keeping an our, our eye on the live stream of the debate. It hasn't uh, started yet. So as soon as it does, uh, we'll go to that. But uh, I'll take uh, just, uh, just a minute to remind our, uh, our viewers today that the World Affairs Council, we're, uh, we're very happy to have a, a record audience uh, with us tonight. We had over 150 registrations, uh, enough that we had to uh, buy more Zoom space. Uh, so we're glad that uh, everybody will be here with us tonight. Uh, but the World Affairs Council, we're based here in Nashville, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, actually housed at uh, Belmont University. And we are conducting an election 2020 project in connection with uh, Belmont. And we're very happy that uh, the final debate did, did uh, come through. There was some doubt, um, but uh, here we are tonight, everything has come together and uh, we're pleased that everyone is with us. I will mention that the Tennessee World Affairs Council is a membership organization and I would encourage uh, people who are interested in world affairs and in uh, supporting education in uh, our schools on global affairs awareness to consider becoming a member of the World Affairs Council. You can do that by going to TNWAC dot org slash join and um, we will uh, look forward to you becoming part of the uh, the world affairs council membership i think we have uh, another couple of minutes um, david any more questions for our distinguished panel i, I see that we have more uh, more speakers here tonight than wolf blitzer has so mm -hmm. i think we can we can claim the title of uh, of the nashville situation room but uh, I, I, I believe that our, our uh, speakers are more distinguished than what, what he's put together on his panel. And I thank everybody again for, uh, for joining us tonight. Your ex expertise is really valuable. And uh, you know, I've been uh, working with Pat on uh, Tennessee World Affairs Council events and he's allowed me to moderate many of his events over the last several years and it's an invaluable resource here. Um, and you know, to remind viewers that Tennessee's relationship with the rest of the world is fundamentally important, whether it's through trade or through um, exchanges, uh, diplomacy. Uh, we have we host the um, Nashville, uh, the, the Japanese uh, Council General resides in Nashville, and so actually in my building, the Tennessean building. Uh, and uh, you know, it's it's wonderful a cultural experience. And this might be an opportunity, Sarah, if you could talk a little bit about Sister Cities of Nashville. It's an organization that. I've been impressed with for a long time, and I've, I've met uh, the, the mayor, Lord Mayor of Belfast, from a, an event a few years ago, along with city council members. Yeah, I'd, I'd be happy to. So Sister Cities of Nashville is an organization. Um, it's a grassroots connection of people in Nashville to people um, around the world. Nashville, if you didn't know, I think it's a lot. We have nine sister cities all across the world um, in eight different countries. Um, so a lot of culture to share. So if you're interested in traveling or learning about other cultures or hosting people from other countries, um, meeting new people, having really interesting and great conversations, um, please reach out to Sister Cities of Nashville. Um, I didn't have the opportunity to say this, but I wanted to express how COVID-19 is actually probably the topic that I'm most interested in, in, in hearing about um, during the debate tonight, because 
like a lot of organizations, um, it's, it's really wreaked havoc on everything we do. So we can't travel <laughs> and that is the lifeblood of our organization. So um, I just, I really hope that, that we have uh, some clear answers tonight on that topic. Um, I know that it's not something you can wave a magic wand and make it go away, but um, that's definitely something that, that I'm interested in hearing about. Um, so yeah, that's, I don't know if you have any other questions about sister cities, but I'd be happy to answer them. Sure. Uh, where are your sister cities? Because they're all over the place. Sure. They're in China, yep. they're in Ireland. Go ahead, please. Mm -hmm. So we have two in China, uh, Taiyuan and Chengdu. Uh, Chengdu is our newest sister city and um, our biggest sister city. It has 16 million people. Um, I think Taiyuan has closer to 4 million. Don't quote me on that. I might be wrong. Um, Sarah, Sarah, I'm going to have to interrupt you. I, oh, uh, the debate started late, but uh, they are getting with it. So we're going to shift over to our live stream of, uh, of the debate. So uh, we will see everybody on the uh, the other side. Thank you very much. Hello, David. Hey, Pat. How are you doing? It's uh, quite a robust conversation there in the chat. Yes. Uh, welcome back, all of our uh, our guest speakers. And I'd love to get just some some initial thoughts. Uh, and obviously, and I think some people are maybe a little bit stunned. You know, I've been following the Twitter thread. Uh, I, I think there was a lot of uh, enthusiasm over the word malarkey being used uh, during the debate. Uh, so tell me a little bit about what, what you think. I mean, and, and I'll call on you if you want, but Sarah, what do you think? What did you think about uh, this debate of how it went? Um, I missed the word malarkey. I didn't hear it, so I'm sad about that. Um, but I actually thought um, I was really, really excited to, to hear thoughtful answers um, from both candidates, um, well, well thought out at least, uh, with specific examples. Um, they didn't talk over each other it, for, for the most part. Um, I was really happy, I was very apprehensive about whether or not that would actually happen, but I, I thought that um, everything was handled really well. Does anybody uh, feel differently? This is Holly and I, I mean, President Trump, I thought was much like clearly he was much much better this time than he was at the first debate he was measured he was in control um now that doesn't mean that everything he said was true washington post has already started fact checking but his performance was 500 times better than last time how about you mark yeah i think uh uh the real winner of the debate was i think christian walker did a pretty good job i think the the, 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 that's the instant kind of reaction. The woman won the debate. Um, but I, I do think the biggest, I think the sound you heard at the end of the debate was a sigh of relief coming from swing state Republican senators that um, last, you know, after the last debate, uh, their numbers cratered because their, their floor is tied to the president. And so I think if you're a Tom Tillis or a Steve Daines or a um, any of those others, uh, Joni Ernst, uh, you, 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 <clears throat> Trump, Trump definitely, uh, was able to, uh, to, to box, uh, vice president Biden in on a lot of issues. Um, and I, I agree with, uh, with Holly, it was, a, uh, it was, uh, the president came, came ready. And, um, I think, I think, uh, a 180 on tone and attitude is what I saw from the president and, um, you know, Biden got his licks in too. So, I, but I do think, um, you know, on the net, it's really how, how it's received, you know, the next 48 hours, not, you know, not really what happened in the last 90 minutes is what's going to matter. So, 
I know sometimes people sometimes see debates as kind of WWF type matches, but uh, one observation I have is the president seemed to deflect more than answering questions. Am I wrong on that? Uh, I'll I'll jump in here. Yeah, I think I think there were plenty of um, you know attacks and accusations being thrown about uh, instead of really tackling the issues. One of the uh, the uh, answers I was most disappointed in uh, was the one on election interference, and there was a very serious question asked about election interference uh, from foreign actors in this country. And there was an opportunity for both candidates to talk about why foreign actors are trying to interfere in this election. And they didn't do it. They were they were talking, throwing accusations at one another. Um, and I just felt like it was a real missed opportunity to explain the American people um, that this isn't about being a Republican or a Democrat on the right or on the left, but it's about our system of democracy. And it, that was that was disappointing to me. Campbell, you had uh, talked about climate change and issues of racism being important to you and to your peers. Do you think that the candidates address those uh, as you wish? You know, there were certainly talk about wind power, the uh, Paris Accords. It was talk about uh, the talk, and then of course uh, the crime bill. Uh, tell me a little about your impressions. They said a lot of things that they've said before. They didn't really bring in any new information or get into any of the specifics of plans on how they're going to deal with these issues. I was a little bit disappointed in that, but I am glad that they did get to climate change because I was afraid they were going to run out of time. There was a discussion too, a robust discussion about healthcare and health insurance. Uh, the president accusing uh, uh, Vice President Biden of wanting to destroy Medicare and Social Security and conversely Vice President Biden saying actuarially under uh, Trump's plan to uh, delay payroll taxes that it would essentially kill Social Security by 2023. Did that uh, resonate with any of you? Were you angry? Were you saying, wait, wait a second, what's, what's actually going on here? Because it almost seems sometimes that you were in two parallel universes with some of the answers you were hearing from the candidates. But uh, Bronte, what do you think? David, I'm having some technical difficulties. So I may have to just take one moment. Um, my microphone is very delayed. I'll pass this to someone else if that's okay. Okay. Uh, Amanda, are you uh, prepared to, to answer that? Yeah, I, I did feel like we were talking to two different, uh, in two parallel universes, especially in terms of, of healthcare and what's going to be done. I think it, uh, Biden's take on his Biden care uh, for the future is interesting uh, to the viewers. And I, I'd actually be curious to hear about what the panel thinks of of those differences that, uh, from Obamacare that we've seen. So question yeah. is on the floor, Mark. I think the Biden care issue is, is probably the biggest swing and a miss from the vice president. I think you're gonna see right. Biden care on mail pieces and TV ads across the country. You know, he essentially called Biden, Biden care is Obamacare plus a public option. Um, and at the same time, he taunted his liberal opponents from the primary uh, for supporting a Medicare for all. And so he kind of not only alienated his 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 uh, his left flank, but also uh, put himself in kind of a box canyon on 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 what Biden care is. And so you don't in a campaign you not you don't want to really give your opponent a bumper sticker, uh, 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 you know, a three word uh, uh, phrase to to say it over and over. But you know, he did with Biden care, and I think that was a big big swing and swing and miss for the vice president. One of a, a few that he had tonight. 
And that was interesting because back in the 2012 debates, uh, Mitt Romney hit on that Obamacare name and uh, Obama had to, President Obama had to embrace that. This time Biden himself called it Biden care. Uh, and we're still trying to figure out what that is. So, I mean, when, when it comes to this notion of, we've had a discussion earlier about uh, Canadian medicine and public health issues. And the fact is, um, you know, when it comes to the conversations you're having with your friends and family, is healthcare as, as it was described and framed today, did you, you get the answers that you wished you had gotten? Let's try with Holly, how about that? You know, no, like on the healthcare debate, I don't, I'd be shocked if anybody listening walked away from this debate and thought, man, I got some great answers. I know exactly what those two guys are going to do to make our healthcare better. And this back and forth conversation about beautiful healthcare plans and people love their healthcare plans. I got to tell you, there's just nobody I know who loves their healthcare. You have a decent healthcare plan, you have a poor healthcare plan, and those are pretty much the choices. Now, what, one of the stats that I was looking at from the Secretary of State's office uh, in Tennessee is that over 1.2 million people have already voted in Tennessee. That's nearly 30% of the registered voters in Tennessee, and it's 45% above 2016. So a lot of people have already made up their minds in this race. And we still have several days of early voting to go. Uh, and we still have absentee ballots that will still be coming in by November 3rd. Uh, do you think this was helpful to anybody who might be on the fence, if that actually exists anymore? I know there's been a lot of debates of whether people are actually undecided, whether the undecided voter actually exists today. Did you throw that out for anyone? For anyone, yeah. Um, I, th I think, like, I I'm really doubtful about undecided voters. I think that a lot of times people who say they're undecided just don't vote. But if there are any undecided voters, um, I mean, I, frankly, I would guess that anybody who leans to the left has already made up their mind. And I think if there's anybody who's undecided, it was probably uh, this was probably a good night for uh, Donald Trump to pick up some voters. I agree, Holly. I think that if, if there were people who were undecided about Trump, but thinking, you know, I, I may vote for Trump again, or I may vote for Trump this time. His performance tonight was strong. I think that he showed restraint. It's his tendency to speak over people, to be very aggressive. And I thought he controlled himself in a good way. He had some great sound bites. Um, so I think that this may have helped him and pushed voters who were undecided, but leaning towards Trump to vote for him. Yeah, the framing that he did on the on the politi <clears throat> politician versus non-politician is very 2016 mm -hmm. when he mentioned, uh, you know, you're there for eight years. That makes sense to people, right? Yeah, you were there for eight years. Then the 47 years hit is very, it makes, it's a, it's a, it, that frame is not a, a, a very nuanced discussion. That frame is, you're there for eight years. Why are you, why, why should we believe you? You're a politician. And going back to 2016, we saw in focus groups and polling over and over, why are you early on in the Republican primary? I'm willing to give Trump a chance because he's not a politician. And he kind of calls it, calls out the BS we see in the in the political, in the political game. And it was vintage Trump. And so I'm curious, I'm curious to see how how you know um, Holly's right. Um, there's nobody undecided in this race. The undecided is, is am I gonna am I gonna stand in, in line for two hours and and vote or not? That's the undecideds. And uh, I think that, um, you know, this might help with, with Trump's enthusiasm a couple points. And, uh, and that's, that's where, that's where tonight will help out. I think is 
uh, pushing those undecideds on whether or not to go vote will to go out and vote. That's a good point, Mark, because there were 100 million people who didn't vote in 2016. Uh, do you think that this would make a difference from people who might be apathetic or might have said, you know, I'm just done with this. I'm just tired of politics. Yeah, I don't think people are tired of politics. I think it's become quite the spectator sport these days. So I think it's 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 uh, it is a uh, a cool thing to say. I'm I, you know I'm I'm done with politics or I'm not. But I'd love to see the, the the folks that tuned in across different platforms tonight. I, I'm sure it was a pretty well uh, well watched debate and um, the amount of ink spilled uh, digitally and in on in your paper, David, and other papers across the country on, on tonight's debate. Um, I think will prove out that um, a lot of folks are not tired of the political process. They're just tired of their, their, their side not winning, I think is what it is. You know, in the vein of uh, Civility Tennessee, I was reviewing our candidate surveys. Um, and a question we asked to all candidates is, how will you foster an environment of respectful civic engagement in the country and against polarity? And as I was reviewing the US Senate candidate uh, answers, it was very interesting, just very briefly, because this is how it'll be relevant to the debate. Bill Haggerty, the Senate nominee, said, civility is greatly needed in our country, but we cannot have civility when the Washington liberals relentlessly attack our president with political witch hunts and hoaxes. Meanwhile, Democratic nominee Marquita Bradshaw wrote, real efforts need to be made at the federal and state level to hear the voices of minorities in this country. Only with a deeper understanding of one another will civic engagement be possible. So in a sense, that whole parallel universe uh, conversation comes right there, even in Tennessee, in, in a state uh, federal election. Um, I'd be curious if, uh, since, since as a partner of the Tennessee World Affairs Council, did civility reign this time around, in your opinion? I, I think the tone was definitely dif different, uh, David. You know, the, the characterization of the uh, first debate as a dumpster fire, we certainly didn't see that tonight. Uh, there were reports that uh, the advisors in the White House were imploring the president not to repeat um, what he had done the first time. And he certainly seemed to have taken a measure of their advice. Uh, I don't know if muting the mics helped at all, but even after the mic mute period was over, they both seemed to be uh, respectful of one another's time. And I know, Pat, that you had talked about in the earlier segment of uh, the foreign affairs but we uh, issue, but we ended up talking quite a bit. They ended up talking quite a bit about foreign affairs from North Korea uh, to uh, immigration policy to uh, shutting down travel to China and Europe. Uh, that actually made it quite significantly into the conversation. Yeah, you, you, they, uh, um, I, I think we got half a loaf. We, we talked about uh, China. Um, you know, we had the, uh, the bingo game going on and we could have had Russia and China, those single words. 50 times, but it was China, 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 um, your family, my family, everyone else's family is making money off China. And we didn't talk at all about great power competition. Uh, we didn't talk about uh, issues of war and peace. Uh, people are talking about flashpoints between the United States and China, the Pacific fleet maneuvering close to Chinese warships. Uh, we talked about North Korea just on the periphery of, uh, of the nuclear advancements being made there. Um, I think there was a question about the ICBM that was rolled out in a parade, but they really didn't peel back the onion very much on great power competition, uh, not on questions of the Iran nuclear deal, uh, not on questions of the Middle East peace process. Uh, the administration is touting uh, the normalization of relations between the UAE and Bahrain and Israel as Middle East peace and nominations for peace prizes and all. 
but you know we really had no conversation about what that means we had no conversation about afghanistan getting our troops out no conversation about iraq uh the withdrawal of troops from there the uh the assassination of qasem soleimani in january the attacks by iran on us forces in north iraq the withdrawal of troops in syria uh turkey's uh, movement away from nato the uh the dissolution of nato as as a uh, credible force with the United States uh, showing little interest in the, uh, uh, the, the resolutions of the United Nation uh, that one nation attack uh, is an attack against all. I mean, there, there's some critical issues in national security and we just breeze through that topic with conversations stemming back to Hunter Biden and, uh, and Trump's uh, bank account in China, which in my book is no discussion of national security. Well, thank you for that. Uh, as we're coming soon to the conclusion of the conversation, I'd love to hear from each of the panelists about uh, some final thoughts in terms of uh, takeaways, what you'd love to be discussing with your friends and family about uh, what happened tonight. Uh, what are those things that, uh, you know, and, and Mark may still be pessimistic and at this point, but uh, <laughs> why don't we start with you, Mark? Yeah, I'm, a, I'm an optimist, pessim, optimistic pessimist, I guess. Um, no, I, you know, I, I'm sure, uh, I'm sure Rachel and the other folks that that, that dabble in politics on this um, get inundated with texts and emails and phone calls and and just uh, in, in our normal course of life about what's going on. You know, I think um, I think the biggest thing that that I took from this debate is, um, you know, the the fact that they're talking that everyone's talking about uh, about politics is good. I just wish it would be stop being a spectator sport and. And folks would actually get involved rather than just kind of pontificating uh, from from the sidelines. And so, um, you know, the, I think these presidential debates get too much um, too much focus. There's 364 days uh, uh, before this debate that actually you know matter. And so, um, you know, I wish they I wish we turned down the volume on these debates because at the end of the day, um, you know, the you know the next nine days are going to be very consequential for you know for everyone on this call and and the world. So, um, you know, if I, if I, you know, I'm going to tell, I'm going to, I'm going to basically kind of say what I said to you all tonight and, and those, those watching, um, you know, Pre president Trump had a good night, uh, vice president Biden and continues his four corners offense, uh, to run out the clock and, um, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, uh, see what happens on, on, uh, hopefully we'll know, you know, sometime mid mid afternoon Wednesday at, uh, what, what happened, what happens. So. Sarah, what do you think? Um, I mean, I my final takeaway was that I, while it was a much better and more quote unquote debate than um, what we had seen in the past, I don't think that this is gonna really push anyone in any direction. And I, as we talked about whether or not it's gonna help undecideds feel more inspired to vote, I'm not even sure it was, um, was inspiring enough to do that. So it was, Kind of bland, I guess. Um, so maybe, maybe Mark, that'll help with the spectator side of things. Um, but yeah, I just, I just don't think that it's really going to push anyone in any any direction. Rachel. Um, yeah, I think the bar was so very low for this debate after the debate that we witnessed uh, the first go round that really it was show up into the op-ed you ran, you ran um, be an adult, you know, and have a conversation. Um, so I think we met that bar 
Um, I don't think that changed anything. I don't think it changed a vote, honestly. Um, I think people supporting Biden heard what they wanted to hear and Trump supporting what, um, you know, heard what, what they wanted to hear. I, I would also agree with Pat that there was very little actual substance in this debate. Um, and that that's a shame, but that wasn't what the campaigns needed to get out of this night. Um, you know, Trump needed to show that he could show up and behave himself. Um, and Biden needed to show that he could he could hang and he could he could uh, make those substantive answers. So um, I, I kind of agree with Sarah as well. It's just it, it'll be a wash and in 24 hours, if not sooner, we'll be talking about something else. What do you think, Campbell? Like Rachel said, the bar for this debate was very, very low, but uh, I will be optimistic and say that watching the candidates be a little bit more civil, act a little bit more like adults, that was very encouraging. And I think that that's something that hopefully they will continue on in the future is when they make a mistake, learning from that mistake and trying to correct their path. Thank you. Bronte. So something I really appreciated about this debate was the moderator, Kristen Walker. I thought that she had a tough job. It's not easy to moderate Donald Trump, who is aggressive, he's passionate, he interrupts. And I think she did a really good job. It was a pleasure to watch a journalist be extremely professional. She was not a pushover. She made sure to, to moderate and be effective but she did so in a way that was very fair to both candidates. And so I think as someone who is interested in journalism and likes journalistic integrity, I was very impressed with her. Thank you for that. Holly, what do you think? You know, it's pretty hard to top what everybody else has said, but I will say that I really, I'm still a fan of debates, no matter how messy they are or how ugly they are. I just really have this like, sort of emotional attachment to debates and the fact that if you are going to run for office, you should be willing to speak publicly, confront your opponent and let uh, let the public hear how you comport yourself when you're challenged. So um, I'll sign off with that. Oh, thank you, Holly. And last but not least, Amanda. Thank you. Uh, I think that this really showed the polarization of our country. There was a lot of deflection. There was a lot of questions that went unanswered, but we did bring up some really meaningful topics. So I hope that conversations are continued, you know, tomorrow in people's Zoom calls or in, uh, around the breakfast tables that are about those points and what they wanna see in the future, even if we didn't hear that from either candidate. Oh, thank you very much. And before I turn it back to Pat, uh, just a reminder to our viewers that early voting goes through October 29th. You can order your mail-in or absentee ballot if you qualify through October 27th and vote, vote, vote by November 3rd. Uh, if anything else, thank you so much for the opportunity to moderate this conversation, Tennessee World Affairs Council in a collaboration with Civility Tennessee of the Tennessean. Uh, Pat, turn it back to you. Great, thank you, David. Uh, that was a, a great uh, uh, session concluding a, a wonderful program. I think uh, everyone uh, got a lot out of this conversation and, uh, and the debate um, for uh, the, World Affairs Council, I thank uh, our panelists, all who gave, uh, gave up their time. Uh, I hope they got to play a little bingo along the way. We have a, a bingo announcement here. There were no bingos in the classical sense, but in the chat room, we've asked people to um, get a screenshot of their card 
and whoever's got the most squares filled in will get our commemorative coffee mug here. So uh, send us those to info at tnwac.org and somebody will uh, will get a coffee mug. Sorry, there were no winners. Well, there was no, uh, no shortage of correct answers. Uh, the technical control uh, advisor here, Bill, was uh, helping us uh, pass these off and um, we, uh, we certainly uh, gave it our all. I think, uh, I think everybody, uh, the, the chat uh, stopped for a while and everybody kept saying how much they liked the bingo. So, so that was clearly the winner of the evening. Uh, but seriously, uh, I think this was a, a great opportunity for the World Affairs Council to partner with the Tennessean and, and David, uh, thank you for taking your evening. I know that uh, you're super busy right now with all the, the politics of Nashville, of Tennessee and, uh, and this evening of the United States. Uh, Rachel, thank you again for uh, the Alliance for Securing Democracy, for uh, the webinar that you did with us a couple months ago talking about foreign interference. And I would commend uh, to everyone to take a look in our youtube.com slash TNWAC archive. That, uh, that session on foreign interference is posted there. Uh, likewise, we've done a program with Sister Cities. So look in the archive and see all those great programs. Among them are the Election 2020 series, which uh, continues next Thursday evening with a terrific uh, webinar that we're doing with Ambassador Thomas Pickering, one of the legendary diplomats of American uh, Foreign Service and uh, Ambassador John Cordenbloom, who was ambassador to Germany and is a specialist on US European affairs. So that should be a terrific program moderated by Professor Thomas uh, Schwartz. Uh, so thank you all for coming, Sarah, uh, Bronte, uh, Holly, I think you're there, and Amanda, we don't see you, yeah. but, uh, but thank you so much for uh, being part of this. Uh, Mark, uh, thanks again for all your support. And David, um, great evening, thanks, uh, thanks for doing this. And thank you. Thank you, Bob. Thanks, y'all. To everybody who uh, uh, came along, thank you so much and have a good evening. Be safe. Thank you all. Take care.